0: Once upon a time, there was a farmer named Ronald and Ronald was a very hardworking farmer. He had a wife named Margaret and he had so many kids, he didn't even remember their names. So I'm not even going to, to get into their names, but he had a lot of kids and he and Margaret worked very hard. They were, they were corn farmers. In the Midwest and the last few corn harvesting seasons hadn't been great they hadn't had the rain that they were hoping for that they expected it was unusually dry it was hot and their corn yield was much lower the corn cobs were not growing as tall they would take them to market and they wouldn't get much for the corn and so they were struggling and Ronald and Margie because he called her Margie for short Ronald and Margie were so frustrated and they were losing money and there were repairs they needed to do to the farm and they had a lot of kids to feed and he was ready to throw in the towel. And kids, if you don't know what that means, that means ready to give up. He was depressed. He was angry, you know, and, and he felt like a failure, you know, he felt like he needed to, to provide for his family and he didn't know what to do. And Margie was an amazing wife and she was a farmer in her own right. I mean, she did everything right by his side. I mean, she was practically his his business partner and they worked the fields together. They did everything. And she said, you know what, Ronald, I understand that you're stressed out. I'm stressed out. But she was handling it a little bit better than he. he was spinning out. He was really spinning out and she was she was a great sounding board for him. And she said, you know, I think you should take a road trip. And, and just clear your head. You know, the farm will be here when you get back. This is a time where I can handle things on the home front. I'm very capable. Why don't you just take a week and find yourself? And maybe you'll discover an answer to all of our problems. So, reluctantly, because Ronald didn't want to leave. He was, he was a dedicated family man, loved his wife, and he hated the thought of, you know, setting off on his own. But... He ultimately agreed, and so he set off in his Oldsmobile down the road.
1: After he left, Margie sat with her kids, and she said, all right, guys, we are gonna fix this place up. We are gonna get everything going the way it needs to go, and I'm gonna need everybody's help. And they said, okay, no problem. So they all went off to go take care of whatever they needed to take care of. And Margie sat down and spoke to her goddess. And she said, goddess, I need your help. Our land is not what it used to be. My husband is struggling. My children are healthy, but I want to keep them strong. And I know I can take care of this place, but I just need a little bit of help. And so they went to bed that night. And as they slept, this beautiful glow came over the land and it was filled with nutrients and light and love in a way that we forget that the land needs love. And when they woke up in the morning, the land smelled different. The earth felt different on their feet. The kids were happier than they'd been in a while, and their breakfast tasted sweeter, and the pancakes were fluffier than they'd ever been. And Margie looked around, and all of a sudden, she started to see all of the things that needed to change in order. To continue to make their life on this farm. And so she pulled the corn from the field and decided that instead they were going to grow sunflowers. And she planted the entire field in sunflowers while Ronald was gone and taking a much-needed break for himself. And in her mind, she started to see that these sunflowers would not only provide color and beauty in the world but sunflower seeds were also something that could be sold and people love sunflower seeds you know you see people at baseball games and they got a mouthful of sunflower seeds or they are on a road trip and they've got a mouthful of sunflower seeds and an open bag beside them and so the kids got really excited too and they all jumped in and they all started to help planting these sunflower seeds. And even though Ronald was gone for, you know, maybe a couple of weeks and it usually takes a lot longer for crops to grow, they started to see these sunflowers coming up very quickly. And they were beautiful. And they weren't just yellow, but they were blue and purple and orange and teal and all of these amazing colors that you never get to see in a sunflower.
0: And meanwhile, on the road, Ronald had stopped to see his buddy Jimmy who lived in Chicago and Jimmy had gotten them tickets to see a Cubs game at Wrigley Field and you know Ronald had lived in the Midwest his whole life and loved baseball who doesn't love baseball I mean some people don't love baseball but they just don't understand it and we won't worry about that but it's the greatest game ever he got great tickets right behind the Cubs dugout It was a beautiful day at Wrigley Field. It was a clear 75 degrees, light winds blowing out. A lot of home runs that day. Cubs won. But the most important thing that happened that day was was they were sitting in the stands. They were having a a cold 24-ounce old-style beer, which is a local Chicago beer, which is very delicious. I don't actually know if they serve it still at Wrigley, but they used to. And he was snacking on some sunflower seeds. And as he was putting these delicious salty treats into his mouth, he had an epiphany and he knew what he wanted to do. He said, oh my God, I got to get home. I, I know exactly what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to pull up all the corn and we're going to plant sunflowers and we're going to be sunflower. And because he looked around the stadium and everybody had sunflower seeds. They were kids spitting shells everywhere and just having a good time and sunflower seeds were everywhere. And so on his way back to somewhere in the Midwest, he picked up some sunflower seeds for the road and he was chomping on sunflower seeds the whole way home. And he drove up and he nearly fell over because he did not expect to see his farm had already been converted to a sunflower farm. And Margie came running out. She gave him a great big hug she was like, you're not, you're not mad. Cause like I kind of went rogue in the, I mean, we didn't really, I know we always kind of talk about everything and this a sort of a big development. And he was like, no, he's like, I had, I had a moment. And she was like, did, did the goddess come visit you? And he was like, no, no, no. I was at Wrigley field and I was, I was eating sunflower seeds and I had this idea and you had this idea and, and thank you. And he was, he was so appreciative. And so fast forward, two years, Ronald and Margie's farm became the biggest sunflower producer in the United States of America. And they signed an exclusive contract with Major League Baseball to provide all of the sunflower seeds for all Major League games. And he was able to provide for his family. And they just had a wonderful time as sunflower farmers. The end.
1: Once upon a time, there were two little kitties. These little kitties' names were Bump and Buster. And Bump was a beautiful, black, shiny, shiny kitty cat. And Buster had orange and white and black and gray, and she was just, fun. She just had this really lively persona. Bump could be a little skittish sometimes and, and like to hide under the the bed a lot of times or, or behind trash cans and stuff. But Buster, Buster wanted to see the world. Buster was ready for any adventure that came her way. And she and, and Bump were brother and sister and so, you know, they didn't always get along, but they loved each other very, very deeply. And One day Buster said, I want to go see the world, Bump. Let's go. Let's go see what's out there. And Bump said, but I'm scared. What if we get taken or what if we get chased by dogs or what if there's a great big bird that wants to nip at my fur? I like my shiny fur. And Buster said, I'll protect you, Bump. Trust me. Come on. Let's go explore. We're not really living if we don't go explore." And Bump was really nervous because he really just liked his nice cozy bed and the things that he knew and he didn't have to learn anything new. He just wanted to be where he was because that was his comfort place. But he also really loved Buster and he wanted to be wherever she was. And so reluctantly, one day, (sighs) he took a deep breath and said, Buster, I'm ready. Let's go see the world. And so Bump and Buster gathered all of their favorite kitty belongings, which was basically yarn and a can of tuna, and decided that they were going to go out and explore the world. And as they left even their neighborhood, Bump was really struggling. He was nervous, and he was looking around at everything. And what was that? And what was that bird? And who is that walking down the street? Is that a dog? And Buster just said, Have confidence walk with me walk with me tall and put your chest out like you know what you're doing and you belong here let's go and bump said okay and he took a minute and he took a deep breath he stuck his chest out and he started strutting down the street like he belonged there and oh my goodness the whole world just stopped and took notice of these two beautiful confident kitty cats walking down the street and soon enough a car pulled up and said you look like two confident kitty cats do you need a ride somewhere and they said i don't get in the car with strangers but but thanks so much and they kept on walking and then they came to a street that was completely different from where they used to live it had purple flowers on the sidewalks and great big trees with beautiful branches overhanging And it looked like there was like a perfect little tree house up in the tree. And Buster looked at Bump and said, we got to go up there. And Bump took a deep breath. Okay. And they went up and they climbed up the tree. Bump had never climbed up a tree, you see. And he didn't know that his claws were so effective for climbing up trees. And Buster was up there lickety split. And so she got up and she looked around this treehouse and she started to see there were all of these like cat scratching posts and like little furry balls hanging from the ceiling that they could play with and toy mice and all of this stuff. And when Bump got up there and saw all of the fun that had been waiting for them just around the corner this whole time, they had the Time of their lives and they played and they scratched and they ran and they meowed and they had so much fun they fell asleep and they had the best night's sleep of their life and the next morning Bump got up first and said Buster I'm ready let's keep exploring this is amazing and we know we can come back here let's go see what else is out there and Buster said oh you got it buddy and so They stretched their little kitty bodies out, Mm, they stuck their butts up in the air and shook them a little bit, and then they carefully climbed back down the tree, which is not easy for cats to do, but they did it. So they kept walking, and they walked and walked and walked and walked and walked, and sure enough, pretty soon they came to a dog park, and Bump got so scared. And Buster looked at him and said, Bump, you know what you need to do. And Bump sat and took a deep breath. I'm ready. And they walked into the dog park just to see what was going on. And sooner or later, this little dog came over to them and said, Hi, I'm Ranger. Who are you? And they introduced themselves. And Ranger had a... Beautiful white coat with brown spots. And Ranger was also quite shiny. And so the three of them shone together and they became friends. And then another big dog came over and was like, aren't allowed in a dog park. And Ranger said, Listen, Bronco, these are my new friends, and they're allowed wherever I say they're allowed. In fact, they're allowed wherever they say they're allowed, because they are beings in this world and they belong to be here, so you shoosh. And Bronco kind of And he walked off, and he, and then he turned back around and he said, You know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I just get territorial. It's in my nature. (laughs) And he walked away. And Bump and Buster looked at Ranger and said, I've never seen a dog be nice before, let alone apologize. What is happening? And Ranger said, you just haven't seen enough of the world. Come on, let's keep going. And so Ranger went and got her guardian and said, I'm gonna go explore with these cats. And her guardian said, okay, but I, you gotta be home because we have a big fancy dinner plan tonight. And Ranger said, can I bring my friends? And the guardian looked at the little kitties and said, I've always wanted cats to come to a dinner. That would be amazing. And so the three, Ranger and Buster and Bump, went off together on a new adventure. And pretty soon, Ranger went bolting across the, the park and Buster said, what happened? And Bump said, a squirrel. And they watched these squirrels dart all across. And Ranger was chasing them back and forth and back and forth and having the time of her life. And so the kitties decided to start barking like dogs and chasing after the squirrels too. And pretty soon they were all having the best time. And one of the squirrels finally turned around and said, can you stop chasing me, please? I just want to get up the tree. And Ranger and Buster and Bump looked at each other, and then Bump said, "'I'm sorry, we were just having fun. "'We thought you liked being chased.' "'And the squirrel said, "'Well, you know what? "'I kinda do like being chased. "'Let's keep playing. "'Let's play tag. "'You're it!' "'And the squirrel touched Bump and ran off, "'and then Bump thought, "'I've gotta get someone else.' "'And so Bump started chasing after Buster and Ranger "'and the squirrel, whose name was Betty, "'and they just became friends "'with all the squirrels in the park, "'and it was amazing. And then, after the long day of running around the park and having the time of their lives, Ranger said, I'm hungry. Let's go home. And Buster and Bump said, absolutely. And so they puffed up their little kitty cat chest and they pranced and they strutted all the way to Ranger's house. And when they walked in, oh my goodness, the spread was amazing. There was a place for the humans that was like tacos, which is everybody's favorite food, duh, and nachos and enchiladas and like lasagna for the humans because, you know, dogs and cats really can't eat that much cheese. It's not good for them. And then there was a whole spread for Ranger and her dog friends that was like uh, kibble and like wet food and water. And there was like this little like vegetarian scramble thing that their owner had cooked on the stove. Who does that? Who cooks dog food on the stove? And then... They looked at the place for the cats. Oh my goodness. They'd never seen anything like this in their lives. It was a huge plate of fresh tuna and salmon dip for their little paws that they could dip their little paws in and then eat the salmon off of it. And then they had grass that they could eat because it's very good for cats to eat grass it helps them poop and so they were super excited and then there was like this fresh sparkling thing of water and it was the best meal they'd had in their entire kitten lives and they rolled over at the end of it with their bellies hanging up in the air and Bump said Buster this is the best thing that ever happened to me and Buster said I know let's do it again tomorrow and then they had Best night's sleep of their life. The end. Meow.
0: Once upon a time, there was a lobster named Mac, and Mac lived off of the coast of Massachusetts where there's tons of lobsters. People love lobsters in the Northeast. They love their lobster rolls. They love the tails, dip them in butter. But Mac was different from all the other lobsters. Mac was not a red lobster. Mac was a yellow lobster, a rare yellow lobster. And... He struggled with this, you know, he looked around at all his lobster family, all his lobster buddies, when they would go to lobster school down at the bottom of the ocean. He was the only one that was yellow and he felt a little bit left out. And the strange thing, too, with him, he wasn't just yellow when it would get super dark, when they would get to the the very depths of the ocean, he would start... Glowing. And so you could see him from a long ways away, which is not really a good trait to have in an ocean full of predators, right? You're, you're wanting to blend in on the ocean floor if you're any sort of sea life. But he couldn't blend in. He just, he would just stand out. And there were times they would go on these lobster school field trips and they would explore the depths and he would start glowing the deeper they got. He would do all sorts of things. He would try to cover himself up with squid ink to try and cloak the glowing because it was it was embarrassing and, and the, the other lobsters would laugh at him. But there was one lobster named Jerry and Jerry was his buddy because Jerry was a little different, too. Jerry, he was a red lobster, but he had some some weird speckling, some unusual dots on him that made him stick out a little bit. I mean, he didn't stick out like a glowing lobster, but he knew what Mac was going through. And they became friends because they were sort of misfits. So one dark night, because they did night school, and don't ask me why, but that's just a thing the lobsters do. So one dark night, they all went out on a field trip, And Mac saw something interesting in the distance and he and Jerry went off to investigate.
2: What Mac and Jerry saw was a school of mackerel. They'd never seen mackerel before. Mackerel, as you know, are fairly large fish. They're green. Uh, They travel in massive, massive schools. And when they swim through the water... It's like a silk handkerchief flying through the air. It's beautiful. And the closer they got, the light that came off of Mac shone on to this great handkerchief of mackerel. It was like what you and I might experience at a fireworks display. It was just a dazzling canvas of, of color, iridescent color, sometimes green, sometimes a dazzling blue, uh, sometimes sometimes a pink. Mac and Jerry were just transfixed by it. They couldn't believe how beautiful it was. And they, they followed the school of mackerel as they swum through the water so beautifully. And before they knew it, they looked around and they did not see anything that reminded them of where they were supposed to be. I mean, they were down there to visit the, the wreck of a, a whaling ship and they did not see the wreckage of a whaling ship anywhere anywhere near them. They were all alone. And Jerry was furious. Jerry liked to follow the rules. Jerry's dad was actually the principal of Lobster Night School. And Jerry said, what have you done? We are lost now. We've been separated from our class. My father is going to be furious. You have wrecked everything worse than that whaling boat. Oh, I am so mad at you, lobster mac and cheese. That's what people called mac when they were mad at him because cheese, because he was yellow and lobster, because he was a lobster. And also lobster mac and cheese was also a very popular dish on the uh, the coasts of Massachusetts. What am I gonna do with you, Jerry said? And he he swam off back to where he thought the rest of the class was. And Mac said, hey, stop, wait, wait, let me come with you. And Jerry, clack, went like that with his claw, like as if to say, "Shh, don't say anything more. And Jerry disappeared into the darkness of the Atlantic Ocean. So there Mac was all
0: by himself, glowing in the darkness of the Atlantic Ocean. And he was starting to get a little nervous. He was out there, he was seeing... Barracudas swim by, some sharks, and he was all alone. Jerry had had left him, and he didn't know what to do. So first, he started swimming after Jerry in the direction Jerry went, but a current came just as he was about to reach this ridge, the last spot where he saw Jerry. And this current just swept him far, far away from the ridge, and from Jerry, way, way far away from the shipwreck they were supposed to be exploring. He had no idea, he was tumbling and tumbling into this current. And as he tumbled and he tumbled and he tumbled, the current shot him out into a different part of the ocean. The water temperature was slightly warmer and the fish looked a little bit different. And then he saw something very curious in the distance. He saw a faint glow. And he thought, well, this is, this is curious. And so he started swimming towards the glow because he was so far away from his school, the life he knew. He didn't have any idea how he would ever get back. And so he just thought, you know what? I'm just gonna swim towards this glow and hope for the best. And so that's what he did. He swam, he swam, and he swam. And the glow got brighter and brighter and brighter and as he approached he realized that the glow was coming from not one not two but dozens of yellow lobsters they were just like him he had never seen another glowing lobster and he was just overcome and so he swam towards the lobsters the first lobster
2: to greet him was an older lobster he had a he had a long white beard uh his name was Roy, and Roy said Who goes there? And Mac said it's it's me. My name's Mac. I'm I'm a yellow lobster just like you. He was, he was like shocked. And Roy said, Why do you look so surprised? Aren't all lobsters yellow? And Mac said no. No, lobsters are red. I'm weird. I'm the outcast of my lobster school because I'm yellow. And Roy said, well, yellow lobsters are beautiful. Tell us about these red lobsters. And Mac told him about, about his friend Jerry, about his mom and his dad who were red, about all of his friends at school, about his teacher, about even his principal. And it was so obvious to Roy that even though Mac felt different from the red lobsters that he grew up with, he loved them. They were his home. Mac said, I feel so good here around lobsters who are just like me." But Roy said, No, your your home is with the red lobsters. They've given you something different. They've given you the experience of being an outsider. Anyone can fit in. You are special. You're as special as a red lobster would be over here where the yellow lobsters are. Let's get you home. Back to the red lobsters from whence you came. That's how old people talk. or lobsters. Roy said, Mac, follow me. We'll light the way. And they swum back to where Mac had come from. Now, there was a very powerful current, as you remember. So it was much harder to swim against it than it was to get pushed along by it. But they went. And because there were so many of them, they lit up everything around them. And just as they were about to tuck her out, just as they were about to say, God, it's too hard, the current stopped and off in the distance, a shimmering, beautiful scarf of mackerel. And it lit up more beautifully than ever because there were so many glowing yellow lobsters to light it up. And Mac said, I think I'm back where I started. And and just when he said that from behind a reef, he heard a voice. Is that you lobster mac and cheese? Jerry, said Mac, I found you. Jerry peeked up and said, where did you go? Mac said, it's a long story, I'll get into it later, but our friends are gonna light our way back home. And Mac's Red
0: Lobster mom and dad were so excited to see him. All of his friends from school were so excited to see him. And they were so excited to see the other lobsters. They had never seen that many glowing lobsters. And Mac came back from that journey with a new sense of identity and belonging and appreciation for being a glowing lobster in a Red Lobster world. And he glowed from that day forward with great pride among the rest of his Red Lobster family and friends. The end.
2: The last class of the day, 2.30 p.m., was PE, physical education. That's what they called it. And at Sawyer Grammar School, you could not get out of PE for anything. If you were in third grade, like little Eddie was, man, that PE teacher, Mr. Dawes, would not give you any excuses to get out. You could be like, oh my stomach hurts. You'd be like, nope, Get into the locker room and put on your shorts. Today we're playing basketball. You could say, oh, but my my grandma, she's very sick. And you'd say, no. Get yourself in there. Put on your shoes. Get out here. Today we're playing dodgeball. You could you could say Mr. Dawes, my head fell off this morning. And he would say, I'm looking at you and you look like you got a head like any other kid. Get in there and put on your Sawyer Grammar School t-shirt because we're doing wiffle ball. Now, a lot of kids liked PE. It was fun. You could blow off some steam at the end of a busy school day, but sometimes it was just a little too much. Sometimes kids played kind of rough. Lil' Eddie was one of those kids who would rather be sitting on the swings, reading a book, or playing Foursquare, a very gentle game that you play with chalk and something on a pavement. Lil' Eddie hated P.E. And as if to underscore how bad P.E. was for Lil' Eddie, it was right after reading. Which was his favorite subject. So, let me tell you what happened last Tuesday with the little Eddie. It was reading class at the end of the day. They were reading Amelia Bedelia. Remember that one? You know that story? If you know Amelia Bedelia, it's a, a series of stories about a woman who works as a... I think she's... She, like, works for a family. She, like, is a housekeeper or a nanny or something like that. But she always gets things wrong. Like, she... She takes things very literally. So if somebody in Amelia Bedelia's family that you work for said, Oh, I am fit to be tied. She'd be like, Oh, I'll be right back. And she'd come back with rope because she'd be like, you're fit. You want to be tied? And the person would be like, no, I don't want to be tied. But she would take things very literally. And it was little Eddie's favorite thing in the whole wide world. And they read an Amelia Bedelia story. And then it was time for PE. And on that, on Tuesdays at PE, it was basketball. Which little Eddie hated the most. Anyway, the bell rang, and all the kids ran out to the gym. Little Eddie, with his head hanging down as though it were falling off, but it weren't wasn't. Went off to the gym. And right at that time, Doug, who was little Eddie's best friend, came up to him and said, How are you gonna try and get out of PE today? And Lily said, You know what? I don't have any I don't have any fight left in me. I'm just gonna get through it. Gonna get through this next half hour, and I'm just gonna go home. I'm gonna read more. I'm gonna read more books. I've been wanting to get into Encyclopedia Brown. Duck said, "All right." And they went in to the gym, and they went up to their little lockers, and they put on their little Sawyer Grammar School T-shirts and shorts, and they went out onto the gym floor. And that is when it was time for teams to be picked, which If Little Eddie hated basketball, he hated the team picking even more because he was always the last to be picked. And that meant that the team that he was on didn't really want him and it filled him with shame. But on that day, Mr. Dawes saw Little Eddie, saw how hang dog upset he was about playing basketball. Said, Little Eddie, come up here, you're our captain. (gasps) <gasps> oh, I didn't know what to do. He, he didn't, like, I mean, he knew he could pick Doug, and then Doug could be on his team. But, like, he didn't know how to put a good basketball team together. He didn't know how to make these cuts. He didn't have it in him to be as, as mean as some of the other kids were. He'd have to pick somebody last, and that's a terrible thing. And then to make it worse, Mr. Dawes said the other captain, it's going to be Doug. And yeah, Little Eddie's best friend. They were gonna have to play against each other, which he would hate even more because then he wouldn't even have his best friend to rely on, but that's the way it was. It's the way it goes in the world of PE. So Little Eddie decided to do something counterintuitive. That means the opposite of what you would think would be the right thing to do. Started assembling his team. The first person he picked? Yeah, Nancy. Nancy, the, the the girl who who hated to run, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna see how I'm gonna see how Nancy does. He picked Nancy first. Doug did the the smart thing, and picked Jimmy. Jimmy, you know the the kid who already plays basketball for a league outside of school. Pick Jimmy. I got back to little Eddie. Little Eddie was like, well, uh, uh, Lamar, come over here. Lamar it, it loved science. He had big, thick glasses and orthopedic shoes. He couldn't even wear sneakers in the gym. He had to wear big orthopedic shoes. Sounded like he was clogging when he would walk. And then I went back to Doug. Doug picked Penny, who uh, was a, a junior Olympian. I mean, it was in horseback riding, but still, uh, she was a very good athlete. And so it went. Little Eddie picked himself the worst team that he could find. And Doug, being, you know, slightly smarter and more likely to do the expected thing, picks a team full of athletes. And Mr. Dawes blew that whistle and the game began. But also at that exact same time is when the tornado blew in. You remember that? Do you remember the tornado that hit the town of Sawyer last Tuesday? That's when it happened. And it wasn't supposed to touch ground anywhere near the gym, but it did it touched down right next to the gym and it blew the roof clean off the roof came off of the Sawyer grammar school gymnasium and the athletic kids got blown into the air first right it it makes sense they were more aerodynamic but they all managed to hold on to the to the basketball hoop or to the rafters that still remained and then And then the tornado blew off and away and out of town and all those good athlete kids were hanging on to things way up high in the air. And that's when little Eddie said, Lamar, can you build a ladder? And Lamar said, can I? And he said, Nancy, I know you don't like to run, but you can very slowly and carefully walk up a ladder. Can't you? And she said, I sure can. And the way that that team worked together to get the kids from the high places in that gym, well, that was teamwork. Now, Mr. was pretty shaken up, as you would imagine. But once all the, the kids were down from their high places, he blew the whistle. He said, Little Eddie, you're a basketball natural. The end.